appreciate Chris reading that parable as we go through um, the Gospel of Matthew. And many of you unknowingly took part in an experiment today. Um, and that is, you know, when I came in, a lot of you noticed I was, had a bow tie, dressed in a suit. Normally, I don't do these things. And as I thought, many of you wondered, what's going on? <laughs> is something going on here? Is there a wedding? Um, are you a maitre d' after this? Do you, have you, have you go, are you bivocational? Like, do you, are you a waiter after the, uh, the service? Uh, <laughs> have I become a lounge singer? Right. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> because... We know that sometimes whatever you wear doesn't matter, right? A lot of times we just put on whatever. It doesn't really say anything. But sometimes, sometimes a change in clothing points to a larger change, right? Now, again, I, sometimes we can put stuff on, but it doesn't matter. But sometimes the change in clothing points to a bigger change. And that's what we see in our parable uh, today. Um, Another thing is sometimes clothing points to a larger reality in that some of you wear a uniform to work, right? Not everyone, but some of you wear a uniform to work, whether you're a nurse, you wear scrubs, or maybe you're a firefighter or a police officer. That uniform points to a larger truth, a bigger story, right? So that your uniform points to training, that you've had, that no one else has, so that also it points to a commitment, a promise to serve and protect. So it's not just a uniform. The uniform points to this bigger story, your training, your commitments. And when you wear that uniform, it lets people know there's something's bigger going on here. And today, in our parable today, Clothing symbolizes that you've been, you, that you belong in the kingdom of God. Not only were you invited, but you responded. And you're actively taking part in the joy of God's kingdom. You're not just a spectator, but you're a participant. That's what the clothing represents in this parable. So let's dive deeper into this parable so, church, if we want to understand any part of Scripture, what are we going to do first? Context. context, right. So let's look at the context to help us understand this parable. Context is the triumphal entry. So Jesus, in chapter 21 of Matthew, as we go through the Gospel of Matthew, he uh, comes riding on a donkey into Jerusalem, what we refer to as Palm Sunday. And then he goes into the temple and he clears the temple, uh, turns over the tables and clears all of the commerce going on and says, you know, you've made my father's house is meant to be a house of prayer and you've made it into a den of thieves. Now, both of these things, both the cleansing of the temple and the riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, they, they were things the Messiah was supposed to do. So he is proclaiming himself to be the Messiah. Well... The religious leaders, they, they don't receive that. They don't believe that. 
And in fact, they're mad because the reason Jesus had to clear the temple was because they put that stuff in the temple in the first place. So not only are they responsible for desecrating the temple, they're also going to be responsible for killing the Messiah, the one they said they were, going, they were waiting for. And so Jesus, he tells parables that highlight the Pharisees, the religious leaders' refusal to repent and to follow what God is doing. They have rejected God's kingdom. They've killed his servants and son. And so the, the kingdom is going to be given to others, not the, the religious leaders who are in charge. Now, Steve Nevue, he covered this last week. So if you were here last week, you heard Steve preach and unpack those first two parables. But this week's reading introduces another parable that advances that same theme of missing out on God's kingdom and advances it even further. So remember, what's a parable? A parable is when a teacher takes just everyday kind of things and puts them parallel, or so that's where parable comes from, parallel to a spiritual truth. And that comparison helps us understand or it shows a, an aspect of that spiritual truth. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He says what? The kingdom of heaven can be compared to, he's parallel, he's making a parable here, to a wedding feast. Now, the, this parable, in this parable, it advances what the previous two parables had done. Because remember, in the two parables that Steve covered last week, we had authority figures that represented God. We had a father. We had a, a vineyard owner. Those are the ones Steve covered last week. But now, what do we have? We have a king. Another authority figure that represents God. But it's stepped up a notch, hasn't it? Because there's no higher authority in the land than the king. You don't ignore the king. You don't treat the king's invitation as something small. It's serious business. The other part of the parable is the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a wedding feast. Right? A wedding feast. Why a wedding feast? Another part about when you want to interpret parables, sometimes Jesus will spell out, all right, this represents this and this represents this. But oftentimes we can go into the scriptures, the Old Testament, especially because the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, was the Bible of Jesus and the, the New Testament church because the New Testament hadn't been written yet. They were writing it. And when we look at the scriptures, we notice that a wedding feast often represented the final celebration. And in Jewish thinking, that's when the Messiah came for his people. It'd be like a wedding feast. It'd be like a wedding banquet. That's why the New Testament calls the church the bride of Christ. That's why when you read the book of Revelation, you'll notice that when the new Jerusalem comes down as a bride adorned for her groom. And that makes sense because... What is a wedding? Well, weddings are a new beginning. Weddings are a fulfillment of promises previously made. So God makes promises to his people, and then they're fulfilled. Just like you, a husband and wife make promises, and then that is fulfilled on the wedding day. Makes sense. 
Also, one of the only times in the ancient world where you could really feast and have abundance was at weddings. Because, again, at that time, most people lived, um, you know, day-to-day, subsistent living. They, they, they often didn't have a lot to eat. But at weddings, there was plenty to eat. There was lots of good, rich food, which you usually didn't have. So most of the time, you would not want to miss a wedding if you got an invitation. Because it meant free eats. It meant you know, parties, wine, all sorts of good things. Even if you were well off and most people weren't, this was when things were raised up a level. So you wouldn't want to miss it. And, and indeed, when, whenever we want people to show up at an activity at church, what do we usually do? We're like, hey, we're having food, right? Free eats. If we want people to show up, let's give them food. They'll show up, right? Especially as a Baptist, like you, like that's, it's almost like a sacrament or something where you're like, oh, there's covered dish. I got to be there. Um, but it's the same in the ancient world. You wouldn't, you wouldn't want to miss out on free eats. Not only that, though, if you were invited, turning down an invitation would dishonor your host because your host honored you with the invitation. And that's, so when we go back to the parable, so those are some of the comparisons, we notice the guests they don't really respond when the king sends out an invitation for his son's wedding. That would be dishonoring to the king. But the king, he shows patience because notice then he sends out other servants again to his guests to say, hey, everything is ready. All is ready. It reminds me of when Jesus came, the first thing we see in the beginning of Matthew of what he says is what? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. John the Baptist says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The the dinner is ready. The wedding banquet is ready. All things are prepared. And many of those who are invited, they ignore the invitation. Everything's ready, but they go about their normal routine. They go to their farm. They go to their business. They reject that invitation. But then some, there's, there's the passive rejection. But that's not the only rejection that happens. Some had a more active rejection in that they killed the servants that were just inviting them to the wedding feast. So in the parable, then, in response, the king sends his army to bring justice to those who murdered his servants. This is very similar to the previous parable in chapter 21, 33 through 44, where the landowner, when the, the people who he's, he's renting out the vineyard to kill the servants, then he comes and destroys them, and then he gives the vineyard to other people. Well, likewise, in verses 1 through 7 of our parable today, same pattern. The murderers are punished, and their place is given to others. And in this case, their place at the wedding banquet, right? So, so far, notice, we've got three parables all in a line. And whenever you have a a group of parables, one of the things is you want to understand each parable for what it is, but then... Pay attention to how they've changed. Pay attention especially to how the last parable often adds a little bit something different, and that's where the emphasis is. That's why originally when we were preaching these, I had, I had um, Steve preach all three. He's like, Pastor Joe, I don't know if I can go through all three. That's a lot. Um, but the reason I initially had that was because when you see a group of parables, they go together for a reason. 
And so what's the difference here in verses 8 through 10? Well, the parable advances in that those originally invited, they're unresponsive, they're unworthy. But it will not do to have a wedding celebration with no guests. The king, he's generous. He wants to lavish his blessings on people. So what does he tell the servants? He tells the servants, all right, go, invite everyone you can. Just go. And it doesn't matter who they are, what riffraff, whatever. Just invite everybody to come. And in verse 10, it says, those servants went out into the roads, and they gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. Now notice these new invitees, they're not selected because they're all sorts of people of honor and, you know, up-and-comers. No, it says that they, they bring everyone, both bad and good. But one thing they do have is that they show up. <laughs> they show up at the wedding banquet. But then notice this parable takes another turn. And this is where the emphasis is, because the emphasis is often at the end and at the, at the change, is that the king comes to see all the party guests and then, then there's one fellow there who's not wearing wedding clothes. The king has this guy thrown out into outer darkness where there's wailing and gnashing of teeth. Now there, Jesus kind of breaks the parable because like, wait, what kind of venue is this where you're inside and outside there's gnashing of teeth and darkness? Well, Jesus kind of breaks the, you know, the parable pattern. And he can do that. He's telling the parable. But this guy was thrown out of the wedding feast for not wearing the right clothing. So now becomes the question. If this has the emphasis in the parable, what does the clothing represent? Because Jesus doesn't really say, does he? Just, but that's where the emphasis is. What does this clothing represent? Well, that's where, again, we can look in the scriptures and say, all right, does clothing represent anything in the scriptures? And yes, it's often things appropriate to the occasion. So if it's God's kingdom... Things appropriate to God's kingdom. In the Bible, people are often clothed with attitudes and actions that reflect God, like righteousness. God's, God honoring deeds and words that, yeah, on the outside, they reflect the truth of who God is. So, for instance, and perhaps this is where Jesus got the terminology, Isaiah 61.10. It'll be on the screens. Isaiah 61.10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Garments of salvation, robes of righteousness like wedding attire, what God's people wear. Now, elsewhere in the New Testament, we're told to put on, like clothing, godly attributes and attitudes, but to put off, take off, ungodly things. So, for instance, Colossians 3, 9 through 12, it says this, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. So the practices, you've put off those things, you've taken them off. And the word, the Greek word here is, can be referred to putting clothing on or putting clothing off. 
But then look at verse 10. But you have put on a new self. You've clothed yourself with a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Again, you're putting on clothing that reflects the creator, something bigger. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all in all. Put on then, okay, clothe yourself then as God's chosen ones. Many are called, few are chosen. Holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. See, putting these things on, robes of righteousness. The question is, are we wearing this kind of clothing, <laughs> these actions appropriate for the king's wedding celebration, these actions that image the patient creator, the loving creator, the, the kind creator, the humble savior? Because in God's grace, what we see in this parable is in God's grace, he invites all sorts of people to the feast. But it's still a type of rejection to just show up without changing. <laughs> to think about this, in a grand display of grace, God says, I don't care how outcast you are, how lowly you are, you're just sitting there on the side of the road, you are invited to the most important and grand gathering in human history. But then we show up as if we're going on a midnight Twinkie run to Walmart <laughs> with the white tank top with stains and rips and our guts hanging out. Now, it's not an, this isn't an outright rejection of the invitation, but it's a dishonoring of it nonetheless. Now, by the way, I want to be clear here that I'm not talking about dressing up for church or anything else. No, some of you are very concrete thinkers, right? And so we get hung up on the, the concrete image. But remember, that's the image. The truth is what Jesus is emphasizing. Because we know there's plenty of ways we can dress up. I can dress up, but if my heart is not reflecting the creator, then that's hypocrisy. So I don't want to, so don't misunderstand me. This isn't a sermon of, hey, you need to dress better for sure. It's like, no, I, I want you to dress in the robes of righteousness. I want you to put on Christ, right, and his attributes. But in the parable, that's what the clothing represents, okay? Because Jesus, he closes out the parable by saying, for many are called, but few are chosen. See, this sums up the, the, the point of the parable. The, the invitation is for everybody, but not everyone accepts that invitation. And that, ex that, that rejection of the invitation takes a couple of different forms, right? There's some who violently reject the servants of God and kill him, like the religious leaders. Others don't accept it because other things in life are more important, so they just don't bother showing up because other business of life is more important. Or they respond in a superficial level but on a level that shows they don't understand that who the king is and the importance of the occasion. And they're unchanged. Many are called, but few are chosen to remain in the blessedness of that wedding banquet. So 
So will you respond today? Will you respond to that invitation today? Because we need to respond. We're going to respond one way or another. Even silence is a response, right? Because the people who were invited, it's not, many of them didn't, weren't so violent. Many of them just ignored it. Well, no answer is an answer. How do we respond and how do we not just show up but put on all the garments of a chosen child of God? Now, I'm seeing the time here. And they're running out of time. But I wanted to answer, give an answer to an age-old theological debate that's been going on for centuries. Would you grant me five minutes to do that? Okay, thanks. That's in addition to the other five minutes to just close up. But, um, and then, of course, the other five minutes for the invitation. But some of you might be thinking, especially you analytical type thinking, all right, do I choose God or does God choose me? Because, you see, in the parable, people choose to respond to God. But... Jesus ends with, many are called, but few are chosen. So, do I choose God, or does God choose me? Um, is it free will or predestination? All right, so I'm going to answer you this, just give you a, a simple answer that's been talked about for centuries. You ready for this? All right, so do I choose God, or does God choose me? Yes. Exactly. Yes. Yes, it's both. It is both. Your choices and changes show that God has chosen you. These things go together. Oftentimes we want to parse it and, and, and say all oh, these things, you know, which is first, chicken or the egg, God choose. And a lot of times all of that theological wrangling makes us lose out on the fact that it is both. And it needs to be both. And if it is both, that reflects that we've not only received the invitation... But we've responded to it accurately and properly. Just for instance, Romans 8, 28 through 30 says this. And we know that those who love God, for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, right? Many are called according to his purpose. But then look at the, listen to what happens. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Conformed, putting on the robes of righteousness in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called... And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So basically, yeah, God's in charge of it all. God is doing it all in his grace. He is calling us. He is transforming us. He is sanctifying us and glorifying us. And at the same time, we are making those choices compatible with God's choice. So it's yes, God chooses, and so do we. And God works in us. He justifies us. That means he makes us just in his eyes. But then he works justice into our hearts. He proclaims us righteous, but then his spirit works righteousness in our hearts so that our hearts start to change, so that our wills, our wants, our plans start to align with God. Our outward stuff, what we do, what we say, 
is transformed as we reflect Jesus Christ. You start dressing differently. Again, dressing meaning attitudes and actions to reflect that reality. Galatians 3.27 says this, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. See, we put on Christ like, like a robe of righteousness. We clothe ourselves in him. So my question, friends, is what are you doing with the invitation? Because we are those people who are on the sides of the road, on the street corners, and God came and invited us to the wedding feast of his son. What are we doing with that invitation? Now, my guess is most of us here are watching online. We're not violently assaulting God's servants. I hope not, because I'm kind of a, God, a servant of God, so I don't want you to violently assault me. But, um, yeah, so most of us, th that's not us. No, most likely, the most common response in our society today is just unresponsiveness. Ah, other things are so much more important. I've got business to do. The invitation goes out, but ah, I, you don't, don't understand. I've got the farm to do. I've got the business to take care of. So for the most part, we're just unresponsive. We're not violent against Jesus or those who serve him. It's more like we just really don't care. It's not that important. Or we respond in a very minimal way. Like maybe you walk the aisle one day because, yeah, I mean, who doesn't want the free eats? You know, I mean, the, 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 the kingdom blessings and, yeah, this Jesus thing. I'll, I'll add him onto my life if, if I have time. And you happen to have time one day. So you, you walk the aisle, and, yes, you want God's blessing, but yet you do that in a way that leaves you thoroughly unchanged. You know, we pay more attention generally to fantasy football. I mean, it's Sundays, right? Is, is Sunday church day? No, it's football day. <laughs> and we'll know all sorts of statistics and things about our favorite players, but be totally ignorant of God's word. We'll put on our Patriots jersey, hopefully Patriots jersey, um, <laughs> Because, you know, they're our favorite team. But yet we won't put on the robes of righteousness. We won't put on Christ. We care little for the eternal kingdom. We are more moved by football than we are about the wedding feast. You see, it says, for many are called, but few are chosen. That's Matthew twenty-two fourteen. That's how Jesus ends the parable. And in this, there's a warning. There, there's a warning to, to God's new people, his new guests. Because remember, the, those who were in charge, they, their place was taken away. And yet, even though they were the chosen ones, they were the ones, and, and God says, no, you have, you, you've rejected my son, you've killed the prophets, and so your place is going to be given to another. And then... We're the others. We're the ones that were just on the streets, and God, God invites us in. And so why in the world would we have some sort of self-righteous arrogance 
of like, oh yeah, I'm here. Lucky for you, king, I came to your party. That's how we treat God so many times. But this should cause us to have a humility. Oh, I'm not here because I have influential friends and all of that. I'm here because I was actually on, on the street, and then God, in his grace, invited me to this wonderful wedding feast. So I can't brag. I can't boast. I can just say thank you, hallelujah, to the one who gave me the invitation. And so this should cause us, because now we as Christians, we are the insiders. We're the ones who know the scriptures and who have trusted God, but we should not be arrogant about that. We should have a humility that doesn't, when we see or read about those religious leaders in the, in the scriptures, and we always talk about them, those Pharisees, those people, we should say, no, that could be me. I can be the Pharisee. I can be the insider who rejects. I can be the insider who is invited, who ignores the invitation. When I should be thinking as an outsider who has been invited in purely by God's grace, that yes, many are called and few are chosen. And Lord, I thank you so much that you chose me to be a part of that wedding feast. And so that's when we read this parable, what do we do? What to do? Respond and get dressed. Would you say that with me? Respond and get dressed. I already talked about the response thing. But like, a, think about it. You, you got dressed today. And I'm, I'm thankful for that, by the way. Thank you all for, <laughs> for getting dressed. And, and many of us, do, do we want to walk in the kingdom today? That wedding banquet, the joy of the wedding banquet, the, under, the, the salvation, putting on Christ. Well, then we need to put him on today. Many people put, spend more time putting their clothes on and their makeup on for this world instead of putting on the kingdom clothing, instead of putting on Christ today. So I challenge you to think differently T- tomorrow or, or whenever you get dressed next. Instead of just, you know, putting on clothing, why not think, all right, Jesus, I'm, I'm putting on my, my shirt for today. I want to put on your patience. I'm, I'm putting on my shoes today. I'm going to put on your peace. Now, we're not even getting into Ephesians 6 where it talks about putting on the whole armor of God because that would take a whole other half hour. But... <laughs> It's this idea of consciously, and we can do it. Use concrete things. Use the concrete images. As you put on each layer of clothing, say, Lord Jesus, I'm putting you on. I want people, when they look, I don't want them to see this suit. I want them to see you. I want to, so Lord, help fill me with your patience, your love, your kindness, your peace, your gentleness, your self-control, all the fruits of the Spirit. Do that. Invite God as you put on your clothing that you're putting on Christ. Preach the gospel to yourself. I need to preach the gospel to myself every morning. Lord, it's about you. It's about your invitation. I'm putting on clothing that actually reflects who you are, grace and mercy and love and generosity. And so would you do that? Not just respond, but respond by saying yes to the invitation, but then respond by clothing Yourself, as I clothe myself in Christ and all that He is. Let's pray. Lord God, we do pray for your righteousness.
Lord, your mercy, your goodness. Lord, we first of all thank you that you've invited us to the wedding feast of your son. The eternal, Lord, the eternal celebration when you call all of us home. But Lord, we also thank you that we can reflect you now. So Lord, we pray that you would move in us we confess, Lord, we need you. We need your robes of righteousness. We need, Lord, your garments of salvation. So not only do we receive that invitation, Lord, we put it on. And all that it means, Lord, may we decrease and you increase. May we put on all that you have for us. Holy Spirit, fill us to overflowing so that we reflect you in everything that we do, everything we say, but Lord, that it would be reflective of an internal transformation, that you have chosen us as your children, and it has affected us deep down inside, but also what we do on the outside. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your grace and mercy as you see us through you called us, you chose us, and Lord, you will glorify us. Continue to bring us home. In Jesus' name, amen.